0: Are familiar with the five love languages? Does that ring a bell? Okay, a good bit of you guys are. In fact, Jordan and Amber Gilbert led a connect group on the five love languages earlier this year. I hear it was absolutely amazing, like marriage changing, life changing. If you're not familiar with the five love languages, it's the, the basic concept is that there are five general ways in which everyone gives and receives love, and the five love languages are stuff like. Um, quality time and uh, acts of service. Yeah, I didn't take the class, so I don't really know what they are. But anyway, like I do know that there are not five love languages. There are actually six love languages. And this secret sixth love language is my personal love language. Sarcasm. That is my love language. I don't care what you guys say. I don't care what Gary Chapman, the guy who wrote the book, said. Sarcasm is definitely a love language and it's one of mine. In fact, sarcasm, it's kind of the way that I show people I like them. You know what I mean? It's kind of the way that you know that I dig you and I enjoy spending time with you. Anybody with me on the scar on the sarcasm front? A few of you guys, yeah, you'd say, okay, maybe it's not my love language, but I'm definitely fluent in sarcasm. Some of you guys are not fluent in sarcasm. And so when you get around a sarcastic person, you automatically assume they're mean gosh, they're so negative. They're always joking. They're always saying really harsh cutdowns and put downs. I know there are some people that enjoy that, but not me. Now, part of the reason that I'm so fluent in sarcasm is that I grew up in a home with a dad who worked in the trades. So my dad was a plumber for like 15 years. Then he was a truck driver. Then he was a heavy machinery mechanic. That's what he does now. How many of you guys know you gotta have thick skin to work in one of those fields? If you go to a job site, sucker, you better not get offended easily because they're constantly talking trash and putting each other down. And you're like, dang, you guys don't like each other. But they're like, no, this is just how we relate to one another, right? I used to think my dad was very calloused because of the hard work that he did. Now I know it's just because he worked with callous people. I mean, the words that they spoke, they either harden or they push people completely away. Some of you guys know exactly what I'm talking about. Some of you, though, you don't know what I'm talking about. You don't have any experience with sarcastic people. Because you grew up in a home where your parents spoke kindly. And your siblings loved and supported one another. Can I ask you a question? What's that like? Because it sounds terrible. I'm just going to be honest with you guys. It doesn't sound that great. But that's the way some of you guys grew up. Some of you grew up in homes in which people said, tell me about your day, honey. I grew up in a home where we said things like, oh, did the middle of my sentence interrupt the beginning of yours? So sorry. That's how we had conversations in the Swayze household. It's true. It's totally true, right? So I grew up in a world in which humor needed an edge in order to be funny, right? Otherwise, it's just kind of cheesy. It's silly, it's hallmark humor, and I wasn't really down for that. I grew up thinking, actually, no, let me rephrase that. I grew up knowing that Chandler Bing was the best friend. He was the best, because he always had those witty zingers and one-liners. I still quote them all the time, because they're so stinking funny. In fact, I also learned while growing up that the best way to diffuse a situation that I had created with my sarcasm was to simply say, I'm only kidding, okay? It's just a joke, calm down. In the Swayze household today, I'll often say, I'm kidding, Amber. When you look at me like that, I promise I was only kidding, right? Every time. When you look at me like that, just assume it was a joke and I didn't really mean it. Am I the only one? Okay, good. I knew some of you guys were going to identify with this. Some of you are that person. Some of you are married to that person. Some of you work for that person. Some of you serve on a ministry team around that person. My guess is a lot of you can relate to people who just, they speak sarcasm so quickly and easily and fluently like I do. So you can imagine my surprise in my early 20s when I read something in Matthew chapter number 12 that honestly I wish Jesus never said because it confronts my sarcastic words, because it confronts my idea that I can tame any mean thing I say by simply saying I was only kidding. Look at what Jesus says here, Matthew chapter number 12. And I wonder if this challenges anybody else. In Matthew chapter number 12, we're going to start reading in verse 22. The scripture says, Then a demon-possessed man who was blind and couldn't speak was brought to Jesus. So this man had physical problems and he had spiritual problems. He probably had emotional and relational problems as well. Jesus healed the man so that he could both speak and see." Verse 23 tells us the crowd was amazed and they asked, could it be that Jesus really is the son of David? He is the Messiah? But when the religious leaders of his day, these were the Pharisees, they were the people who ran the churches and the synagogues. But when the Pharisees heard about the miracle, they said, no wonder he can cast out demons. He gets his power from Satan, the prince of demons. And my guess is they said it with a little sass like that. So Jesus, verse 25, knew their thoughts, and he replied. So we'll drop down here to verse number 33, and Jesus says this. A tree is identified by its fruit. If a tree is good, the fruit will be good. But if a tree is bad, its fruit will also be bad. then he says, you brood of vipers. That's a dope put down, you guys. Like you should use that one. You get into a battle with somebody, call them a brood of vipers. That's good. How could evil men like you speak what is good and right? For whatever is in your heart determines what you say. A good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart, and an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. Then Jesus says, I tell you this you must give an account on judgment day for every careless word you speak. The words you say will either acquit or condemn you. When I was in my early 20s and I started reading the Bible for myself, I got to Matthew chapter number 12, and I saw those words, and I was like, oh, come on, Jesus. You don't really mean this, right? Like, I'm going to have to give an account for every single word I ever say. Seriously? My words are either going to acquit or condemn me. I thought I was saved by grace, and I could say what I wanted to say. I really struggled to make sense out of these words. I couldn't believe that Jesus meant them literally and that I was supposed to take them seriously. But what if, like our intro video said, Jesus meant every word, he said. What if Jesus took the time to talk about this because it's more important than any of us might realize? So I want to dig in a little bit on these last two verses in particular I wanna help you to understand them and I wanna help you to understand the power they have to change your relationships with one another and to change even your relationship with God. So in order to make sense out of these last two lines, you're gonna give an account for every careless word you speak and your words are either going to acquit or condemn you. We have to keep them in context. So anytime you're reading the Bible, the worst way to read the Bible is to take one verse, to pluck it out and then to build an entire belief system around this one belief. That's a really bad way to read the Bible. Instead, what you wanna do is you wanna look at the context of what was said. How many guys have ever heard an interview with a politician and they pull one line out of context and you're like, yeah, but if you listen to the rest of what he said, that is not what he meant. He didn't mean it the way you said it. That's how it often is in the scripture. And so we've gotta look at the entire circumstances that caused Jesus to say the things that he did. Listen, Jesus never spoke in a vacuum. He was never like sitting up on top of a mountain with his legs crossed. I can't even do that, it hurts, I'm not very flexible. But he was never sitting at the top of a mountain just spitting wisdom, you know? Just dropping one-liners for people to know. Instead, every time Jesus gave a teaching, it was in response to something he saw in the world or it was in response to something that somebody said to him. So we wanna keep this in context. In the context we read was that Jesus was traveling through the uh, Israeli countryside and one day, People bring to him a man who has spiritual and physical problems. These are significant. He can't speak, he can't see. The Bible even says he was demon possessed. Like, I understand some of you don't believe that's literal. Cool, no big deal. We'll just say this dude was in a bad situation. And he had been in a bad situation for a very long time. But he's brought to Jesus and Jesus does the miraculous. He heals the man so that he can now speak and see, whatever was going on spiritually, Jesus took care of it. Whatever was going on emotionally, Jesus healed him. Whatever's going on spiritually and physically and emotionally, Jesus took care of all of it. Now, the religious leaders in Jesus' day did not like that. Some of you guys are like, I don't like religious people, neither did Jesus. And they didn't like him very much either. They were upset by the fact that he had performed this miracle, that he had healed this man in a way that was contrary to what they taught. And so they decide to kind of cast doubt on what Jesus is doing. But they don't cast doubt on his miracle by saying, oh, he faked it. That was not real, you guys. That was total Photoshop. You should have seen it, right? No, they didn't say it was fake. Instead, they said he was able to do this by the power of Satan. So they're basically saying Jesus came, not as God's son, but he came as a demon. That's what they call Jesus here. So in Matthew chapter number 12, you might've noticed we skipped about six or seven verses. That's okay. You can go back and read those on your own. During those six or seven verses, Jesus like demolishes their argument. Like, you don't wanna go toe-to-toe with Jesus, okay? Because he'll take you down. And he takes down these religious leaders. He's like, you know, guys, I can prove to you that I'm not doing this by the power of the devil. And he does so. Then he turns the magnifying glass off of himself and on to these men. That's where we pick it up. And so he starts to give them this teaching and he uses a metaphor, a word picture in which he calls people or he compares people to trees, right? You might've caught that. He says okay, your life is like a tree. And the words you speak are like the fruit the tree produces. And so the way you know what kind of tree you're looking at is by looking at the fruit that's hanging on the branch. Is it an apple? Well, guess what? That's an apple tree. Is it a lemon? Then it's a lemon tree. And on and on we could go. And so Jesus says, you can know what's going on inside of a person's heart by the words that they speak. They are the fruit that our heart produces, okay? Then Jesus shifts gears and he uses another metaphor. And I learned in English class, you're not supposed to mix your metaphors, but he's God's son in the flesh. He can do what he wants. And so anyway, he switches the metaphor and he says, instead of being like a tree, I'm gonna compare all of you religious leaders to vipers. Did you catch that? He calls them a brood or a clutch, a den, a, a flock. I know that's the wrong word. But anyway, he calls them a group of vipers. And it wasn't until I started studying for this message that I realized just how clever and incisive that comparison really is. Think about it. What's a viper? It's a snake, but not just any snake, is it? It's a snake that walks around with poison in its mouth. Can we just be real for a moment? Some of us walk around every single day spitting poison, on our relationships. We bite people. We poison what could be a fruitful, healthy, loving relationship. And then we have the goal to act surprised when all of our relationships start dying. Why is my wife so distant? Maybe it's because you've been spitting poison at her for six years, bro. Why do I not have a good relationship with my sister? Maybe it's because you guys keep biting each other every time you talk. Why is my workplace so toxic? Maybe because every time somebody comes to work in your office, they're devoured before they're developed. Maybe you're spitting poison day in and day out, and it's killing the relationships in your life. It even applies to church. Thankfully, it doesn't apply here very often. But you know what? You may be a part of a ministry team. And you're like, man, I don't know, Dan. I'm on the dream team. And it's like, I need encouragement. I need love. I need validation. I need somebody to see what I'm doing. And I'm not getting any of that. Even sometimes in church, we get this wrong. Too many of us walk around with poison in our mouths. We take bites at the people around us. And then we act surprised when those relationships wither and die. That's what venom does. Now, I want you guys to understand, like I've made a a joke and I've talked a lot about sarcasm because that's something I struggle with, okay? But Jesus' teaching here, and his warning and challenge on the way that we use our words, it goes so far beyond sarcasm. You guys realize that, right? This is not just about sarcasm. This is about all forms of negative talk, like gossip, like negative talk, like being negative, pessimistic all the time. No, that won't work. That's stupid. Why are you even thinking that? Stop. You're an idiot. Mm. It deals with, it speaks to impatience where we just get frustrated and we lash out. It speaks to anger when we speak with an angry tone or we use angry words. I think it even includes a refusal to listen. Like I think it has to do with those of us that talk, 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 and we never stop talking long enough to hear what other people are saying. Jesus warns us that there is real power in the words that we speak day in and day out. And unfortunately, like I just want to be real because we can't get better. We can't improve unless we acknowledge some areas that we're falling short. And some of us have really got to stop spitting that poison on our relationships or even to ourselves in some cases. I've had to allow these words to challenge me, truly. Like these words have challenged and changed me since I first read them like 15 years ago, okay? You might be thinking to yourself as I was describing being sarcastic and stuff like that, you may be thinking to yourself, Dan, I don't think of you as a mean person. You've never been sarcastic to me before. Well, that's because I'm only sarcastic to people I like. (laughs) There I go again. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. When you look at me like that, I'm only kidding. Really and truly, I have had to be confronted by these words. I've had to learn to dial things back. No lie, particularly growing up. I've gotten better, but no lie. When I was growing up, I was the kid that would say anything to get a laugh. That's Like the more insane and inappropriate the thing I said was, the bigger the laugh I got. And I learned over time, that's a positive feedback loop. And so if I keep saying crazier and crazier things, people laugh harder and harder. But I've learned over the years, that's not a healthy way to conduct yourself. It's not the best way to handle relationships and communication and things like that. I thought I was making really good progress in this area until about seven or eight years ago. Seven or eight years ago, something happened that really flipped a switch for me. It changed the way that I spoke. And so for those of you guys that are like, seriously, though, I don't hear you be sarcastic all that often. You're not married to me. But secondly, it's because I have turned it back a little bit. And the reason why is that when I was serving in student ministry, we had a girl in our youth group named Sarah. And Sarah grew up in our church, so she'd been around a long time. I had known her since she was a little kid, and she was a very sweet girl. She was very active. Then she graduated high school, and she decided she wanted to go to Bible school, and so she went away. She studied the scripture. She got a husband. She came back to our church in Florida, and she started serving. And so she's working in our ministry. And one day, you know, like we've transitioned. Now I'm, I'm still her pastor, but I'm no longer her youth pastor. We're kind of on a more familiar, friendly, even level here. And one day we're, we're talking and I'm joking around and I must've said something that was a little too sharp. I must've said something that was a little bit too cutting or sarcastic and I didn't even realize it. So we're talking, you know, I, I, the joke happens and we go a little bit further. And then Sarah interrupts me and she says, Dan, do you know that you've made me cry before with the things you say? Did this not happen? In front of a whole bunch of people, you guys. She didn't take me aside and say, Dan, I'd like to talk to you about something. She was like, do you realize you make me cry? I'm like, what, when when would I have ever said something that would make you cry? I'm your pastor. I would never, ever, ever bite you in such a way with my words that you would start crying. And she started to give me examples that she remembered. I don't even remember saying these things. She said, sometimes you make a joke because you think it's funny. And then you walk away happy because you made everybody laugh. And I burst into tears. And God, I'm, I'm totally serious. It broke me. I mean, like that hurt so badly that as her pastor, I had been unintentionally spitting poison on her. That I, I really, I made a change. I started dialing it back. I stopped saying things because I thought they were funny. I stopped making as many sarcastic jokes. I've still got a ways to go. But I decided I can't, I can't expect my relationships to thrive if I keep poisoning them. Now, I'll be honest with you. For the first few minutes after Sarah told me that I made her cry, I wanted to blame her. (laughs) Because listen, this girl cried about everything. You know what I'm saying? I have literally seen her cry over a TV commercial. That is no joke. A grocery store TV commercial. So I thought to myself, okay, Dan, like she's just got, too thin a skin. She's too sensitive. This is her problem. It's not your problem. Like she just needs to learn how to deal with it. But can I tell you, this is why Jesus' metaphor of a viper is so very clever. Because if you think about a viper, a viper can't bite a mouse and say, I was just kidding, man. I was just joking with you. No big deal. Once the bite happens, the damage is done. The poison is there and it can't be taken away. If a rattlesnake bites a person, excuse me, if a rattlesnake bites a person, the rattlesnake can't look at the person and say, ah, you should just grow thicker skin. Come on, stop being so sensitive. If you would grow thicker skin, this wouldn't hurt so bad. No, you can't think in those terms. The victim, the one who is bit is the one who gets to determine whether or not the biter went too far, okay? It's not you. The rattlesnake doesn't get to say, oh, I didn't bite you that hard. I could have bit you much harder, trust me. No, the mouse is the one who says, that was too much, and I'm dying because of it. Jesus' picture that some of us are like vipers in our communication. We're biting, and we're devouring, and we're poisoning, and we're killing the relationships that should be the very, very best, it hits close to home for me. And my guess is it hits pretty close to home for some of you. See, the problem is not with that person. The problem is with our poisonous words. That's the real problem. And we can't blame them. We can't say, oh, if you just lighten up. We've been married for 15 years at this point. Seriously, you should know I'm kidding by now. How about I just stop spitting poison? How about we stop biting and devouring one another as if we were vipers? Now, I know some of you guys are like this is weird, man. Like I didn't come to church and expect to be compared to a snake and poisoning people. And is this message really even necessary? Like, should we be spending all this time on Sunday morning talking about our words and the power they have? Like, shouldn't we just preach the gospel, Dan? Come on, brother. Shouldn't we just be talking about that? And the answer is yes, but Jesus himself took the time to give this teaching. He had three years That's it. He knew his time was limited and he still paused and took time to tell us the power of our words. And so honestly, if Jesus talked about it, then we're going to talk about it. We're not going to ignore how true his words are. Our words, your words are powerful. So powerful, in fact, that Proverbs chapter number 18 tells us the tongue holds the power of life and death. It is that powerful. Words are so powerful, consider this, that they are the tool by which God created everything. Think about that. God spoke and all of this was set in motion. That's how powerful words can be. And so you and I, we've got to come to realize the power that we carry around in our words every single day, power to spit life or power to spit death. You've got to ask, what are my words creating? Am I creating life or am I creating death? Can you imagine how different your marriage might be? If you started speaking words of grace instead of bitterness to one another, that's one of the most powerful tools in your toolbox as a married person. Can you imagine what church would be like if they showed up every single Sunday and they heard not just from the stage, but they heard from every person in the seats, hey, you're known and you're needed. We're glad you're here. You're not a mistake. You're not an accident. You're not too far gone. You're my brother or sister, and I want you to know just how deeply we love you and God loves you. Those words would give life to people who are currently surrounded and swimming in death. I mean, seriously, who else is encouraging in our world? Where else are people getting this? Are you, is your primary encouragement in the world your boss? Doubtful. Your boss isn't building you up. Your boss isn't speaking life into you. He's not, she's not infir- affirming you as an individual. Is it, is it our schools or our professors, those of you guys that are in university? Are your professors affirming you? No, they're giving you Fs and saying, redo the work. Is it our politicians? No, people in our world, they constantly get cut down. They constantly get devoured. They constantly get poisoned by the words that uh, that are spoken over them. And so Jesus invites me and you to create this world in which people are built up by the words that we speak. You can build your husband up by the words you speak, or you can tear him to shreds. You can build your children. You can build your office. You can build your friendships. You can build this church with the words that you choose to speak or quite frankly, you have the power to burn it all to the ground with the way that you use your words. So it's important that we recognize the power that we carry around every single day. Can I encourage you? Can I challenge you to speak purpose and not poison in your relationships. And if somebody is poisoning you, don't wait five or six years to say, Dan, you know, some of the things you say make me cry. Because it may be that those of us who are just sarcastic, we don't even realize how hard we're biting. Sometimes all you need to do is say, knock it off, man. I want to have a different kind of relationship here. Not only are our words powerful, but we've got to recognize what Jesus said, that our words do reveal what's inside of our hearts. Why do we speak so much anger? Let me rephrase that. Why do we tweet so much anger? (laughs) Maybe it's because that's really what our heart is full of. Maybe we should just go, we'll just make this the bottom line for the message today. This is the one thing I want you to walk out of here knowing. My mouth speaks what my heart is full of. My mouth speaks what my heart is full of. And so if I find myself constantly speaking sarcasm, guess what? My heart, my soul, my mind, it's full of sarcasm. If I speak bitterness or if I speak grace, if I speak forgiveness, it's because I have a heart full of forgiveness. If I speak death, if I speak life, if I speak good, if I speak evil, if I speak joy, if I speak pride, if I speak humility, whatever my heart is full of is what my mouth is going to speak. We still haven't addressed those last two verses. I kind of danced around them, but it's time we look at them. Why would Jesus say, You'll give an account for every careless word you speak on Judgment Day? Why would He say, Your words? will either acquit or condemn you. That sounds an awful lot like Jesus is saying, if you are a good person, then God will give you a thumbs up when you die. And if you're a bad person, God will give you a, I don't know if he makes that noise, but. I misread these verses for so long. I read them and I thought, oh my goodness, I'm gonna have to give an account for every single word I've ever said. Oh, I thought that God was up in heaven and he was recording every single moment of my life. It's like a movie. And when I get to the pearly gates, he's gonna push play and we're gonna go over the whole thing. Every single thing I ever thought and said and did, we're gonna watch it. And I better have said and thought and done more good than evil. That's what I assumed. That's what most people who have a vaguely Christian worldview think, that as long as we've done more good than bad, then okay, God's gonna accept us, we'll be in heaven and good people go up, bad people go down, that sort of thing. The problem is the older I get, I'm almost 40 years old now, and the older I get, the more convinced I am that nobody speaks more good than they do bad. I'm really convinced of that. Are you really sure that you have said more true and positive and life-giving things throughout the course of your entire life then you have negative, evil, or hurtful things? Are you really sure that you want to take that test? I'm not. I don't. I am convinced that there's more to what Jesus is saying here. I think it's best if we interpret his, his words in light of other Scripture. Okay, so we need to make sense out of verse 36 and 37 in light of what the rest of the Bible tells us. And so if we look at a couple of different verses, I promise we're done, we're gonna wrap this up so, so quick. But here's the deal. If you look in the, in the book of Ephesians, we find out in chapter number two, that salvation, a relationship with God, it is a gift that comes from God. We don't earn it by saying the right things and we can't lose it by saying bad things. Even if we've been spitting poison our whole life, our relationship with God is based based on his character and not our behavior. You with me? Okay. It is a gift. It is something that God gives us because none of us deserve it. We read in Romans chapter number 10, that it is with our mouth that we receive God's free gift. That is the words we speak determine whether or not we have a relationship with God and whether or not we receive his gift of forgiveness. The scripture tells us that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. It is the words that we speak that truly will either acquit or condemn us. Listen, Jesus in Matthew chapter 12 is not saying, okay, you better say nice things so you can go to heaven and and one day be a good guy, right? That's not at all what he's saying. He's saying your words have the power to bring life or death. And in the biggest sense of all, your words are what matter. Because whether or not you have a relationship with God or you choose to do life on your own, it comes down to the words that you will or won't speak. If you'll confess that Jesus is Lord, then you will be saved. You will be acquitted. You will have new life, life overflowing in Christ. But if you refuse, if you say, nah, 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 bruh, that's not me. That is, nah, 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 Dan, you sound like a jerk making teenage girls cry and stuff, okay? That's not me. I don't need to be forgiven. I know I've said some bad stuff, but I know I've said a lot of good stuff too. And so I'll take my chances. If that's the way you wanna go, you can. God says, that's totally fine. It's up to you. It's your choice. I'm not going to force the decision. But he tells us precisely what's going to happen. One day you'll stand before God on judgment day. And if you say to him, "No nah, God, I think if we kind of put everything in the balance, I'm going to have said more good than bad. He's going to say, let's see. And he's going to push play on that movie, so to speak. And you're going to look at everything. While that movie's playing, I want you to ask yourself right now, you're, you're imagining that movie playing in your mind. Are you sure? (laughs) Are you certain that you have thought more good things than bad things? Are you certain that you've spoken more life than death? Are you certain you've done more good than wrong in the world? If you are, hey, you can take that test. But if you're not, If you're like me and you say, dude, if I'm honest, I know exactly how much negative stuff I say. I know exactly how much poison I spit. I know exactly how many people I've done wrong. I know exactly how I've offended God, whoever he is, whatever he's like, whoever that might be, I know I've done wrong. If that's where you're at, then I wanna remind you of what Christ said, your words will quit you. All you have to do is say, Jesus, I need forgiveness and a fresh start. It is your words that begin a relationship with God. It is your words that bring life both internally and externally. So I'm gonna invite all of you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And I'm gonna give you the opportunity to pray this prayer of faith if you want to. If you don't, cool, take a short nap, no big deal. But for those of you guys who say, Dan, I know this is the time. I need to do life with God, with his forgiveness and his spirit. I'm tired of doing it on my own. I'm tired of being negative. I'm tired of everything around me dying. I want life and I want that life to overflow into every corner of my existence. Then you might say this simple prayer, dear Jesus, I need forgiveness and I need a fresh start. Today, I'm trusting you for both. Thank you. Hey, can we give it up for people who might've made that decision for the very first time today? Your words are the most powerful tool you have. They can begin a relationship with God and they can restore and heal any relationship here on earth.